Welcome to the EIM Global Podcast, the place where we speak to experts from across education, academia, and industry, so we can contribute to the professional conversations happening in our community now. The discussions we have and insights shared by guests help develop our own thinking and work, and hopefully spark further dialogue for other educators too, as they reflect on their practice and the students they work with. In today's episode, we are joined by Jackie Beer. Jackie worked as a newspaper journalist before starting a career in teaching and school leadership. She started first as a teaching assistant and primary school teacher, later moving into secondary school as an English teacher. She became one of the first advanced skills teachers in the UK in 1999, and eventually the head teacher of a large, successful secondary school in Northamptonshire. She was awarded an OBE in 2002 for developing innovative learning to learn and metacognition programs that raised achievement for both students and teachers. And since 2006, she has been training teachers and leaders all over the world in the latest strategies for developing resilient, independent learners and a growth mindset culture in the classroom. Jackie is also a master practitioner of NLP, a trained Clarity and PQ coach and author of several best-selling books. Her latest 2020 books are Teaching and Learning, Developing Independence and Resilience in All Teachers and Learners and The Complete Learner's Toolkit, which is a book of lessons to develop metacognition and mindset skills for 9 to 14 year olds. Ultimately, Jackie's passion is to help teachers and students use the magic of metacognition to fulfill their potential for success and happiness. Today, we talk about why Jackie thinks about metacognition as being like magic, the value of having a growth mindset, and get into some of the important links to well-being, as well as talk about ways schools can further embed metacognitive practices for both their staff and students. So, let's get into it now. Jackie. Welcome to the podcast. Really excited to have you on. Thank you for asking me. You're very welcome. Where are you uh, talking to us from today? I'm talking to you from Tiffield in Northamptonshire in UK, and it's quite sunny, <laughs> amazingly. Oh, <very> nice. <laughs> <laughs> now, for, for listeners that are not familiar with, with you or your work or, or your coaching and, and other aspects of your background, it'd be great just to understand how you've come to be doing what you're doing today and what that journey has looked like. It's been a fascinating journey, actually. I started off as a sort of TA in a primary school, working when I was 18, actually. I was, I was a TA in a primary school. Um, then I went to work in a primary school, trained up as a primary school teacher, got qualified and everything. Um, and then quite quickly decided to go and do some supply work at a secondary school, became a secondary English teacher. And during that time, I was really shocked by how children had changed in their transition from primary to secondary in the sense that um, they were sort of, sort of independent learners at primary. They seemed to be full of beans, full of full of the joy of learning. And then you get to secondary and it's subjects. And, uh, and, and I thought, wow, you know, I'm an English teacher. I love teaching English. There's a lot of flexibility in that. But I feel these children have sort of forgotten how to be the very, very best learners they could ever be. And so I decided to try and fight um, my case for a, a course or something that would deliver to these Key Stage 3 students. Because I do feel that Key Stage 3, which is in UK 11 to uh, 14, that stage was absolutely key and crucial in, in helping children harness their brain power and their learning abilities. So I set up a sort of learning to learn course that we did and it became, I worked with a campaign for learning in the UK and because of all of that and it was very successful and it did, 
it did um, actually, the outcome was that, that children did improve their exam results. They they really improved their well-being. It really worked. Um, and the Learning to Learn course was about the brain and about how you learn and about managing your emotions and about emotional intelligence. And so all of those lessons and everything that I did there sort of helped me um, become eventually an AST, advanced skills teacher. This was in the UK. I was the first one of the first ASTs in the in the UK and that was very much about rewarding teachers for being um, skillful classroom practitioners because my exam results were great you know and the kids seemed to really be enjoying my lessons so um, after that of course natural progress towards deputy heads head of teaching and learning head teacher became head teacher and my whole purpose in becoming a teacher was to introduce a competency-based curriculum where we could really integrate through a course called Opening Minds, which was integrating subjects, integrating learning to learn, integrating emotional intelligence, metacognition, all these things, and make it an absolute key part of the of a child's experience as they transition to secondary education. However, usual things happen as a head teacher, budget, redundancies, Ofsted, all the things that happened took a lot of my time up. Um, and I just found that uh, I wanted to move on to really focus on my absolute passion, which is learning and how we learn and how to help teachers be the best learners as well as helping their students be the best learners. So I moved on to training. I started my own business, training teachers. And eventually, just in the last three years, four years, I've been, I've moved on to coaching. So I do still do training. I still do um, lots of work training teachers and particularly conferences, head teachers conferences, that sort of thing. But now I do a lot of coaching and I absolutely love coaching. It is the magic of helping people develop their metacognition, in my view. Uh, so I, I've just had the dream jobs. I've had the dream journey from TA to head teacher, now to coach. I absolutely feel very privileged. You, you must be I suppose one of the people that's that's had more lenses onto the the world of education, as it were, than almost anybody else. You know, looking at it from from inside in all sorts of different positions, and and now obviously in some ways outside through that coaching and and support lens as well. So so fascinating. You, you mentioned a couple of times there metacognition. That's obviously a, a theme of of a lot of your interest and work, no no doubt. For our listeners, I mean, how do you think about metacognition? What is it? Uh, and you know, what what is metacognition to to Jackie Beer? I suppose. It's absolutely becoming conscious of your own thinking. That that's it. It's it's such a simple thing in many ways. It's becoming conscious of your thinking so that you can challenge it, so that you can interrogate it, so that you can wonder how it works and make it really work for you. And then automatically after that, metacognition is about becoming curious about your thinking. Well, how can I make that work better? How can how can I remember that more effectively? How can I focus on that subject uh, that I find so tricky? How can I how can I not because it's such a link as well with metacognition to well-being. This is what I've discovered. It's a huge link between understanding how your thinking helps you be a great learner but how your thinking gets in the way of your confidence of your of your ability to challenge yourself without beating yourself up because you can't do it and ultimately to see struggle as growth and challenge is exciting and and that whole journey of understanding self-awareness 
is absolutely crucial to me um, in metacognition. And when I was doing my, you know, going back 20, 20 plus years, 30 years probably, when I was doing Learning to Learn um, with my Key Stage 3 students and, and thinking about how can I develop their emotional intelligence? It soon became absolutely clear as soon as we, we all discovered that metacognition was the sort of the magic, I think it is magic, that, that this is the way to help children be better learners, to understand, become conscious of their thinking. And magically, it also helps you reframe situations when you're feeling stressed and feeling unhappy, and uh, as teenagers always do, because it's part of growing up. And it's a lifetime journey, by the way. It's not something, oh, I've cracked it. You know, I know all about it. I've cracked it. No, absolutely not. I still have my moments when um, I have to think, I have to pause and I have to choose not to believe the little story I'm running in my head. And stories that run in your head are the way we create our experience of this life, of this world. And, and it's interrupted, being able to interrupt those stories when they're not helping you that's a crucial part of that metacognition, um, confidence and skills and competence. I love this, uh, this phrase you've got, metacognition is like the magic, you know, it's, 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 I guess, the way you described it, obviously, fundamental core to not just student experience through schools, but perhaps all of us through life. And, uh, you know, within that, within that concept, I suppose, packaged clearly a number of different things as well and you touched on a couple there you know emotional intelligence self-regulation obviously the reflection on the learning process itself for example uh, and the list goes on I mean for something like that as powerful as it, it, it appears to be uh, I think the, the evidence suggests that how how would you recommend schools starting to explore metacognition I mean what, what kinds of things you know what's the right way in I suppose is the question absolutely start with your teachers and by the way, particularly your teaching assistants. One thing I've discovered um, since doing coaching, I coach everything from students to teaching assistants to head teachers. And the one thing I have discovered is that the people that are working one-to-one with our students, and and that's teachers and teaching assistants, need to understand their own thinking and what's getting in their way and how they're seeing themselves and how that filters their experience of this world and the messages they're giving to students. So the first step, absolutely, is to train your teachers in metacognition and let them experience it. Let them look into their own thinking and see how it's working for them to see how it's it's empowered them to see how it's blocked them um, to see how they see themselves as learners and to start voicing their thoughts out loud because it's only by voicing your thoughts out loud um, that you start to understand wow is that really true that I'm no good at maths <laughs> is that really true that that my team leader doesn't actually appreciate me how true is it can I interrogate that can I think can I can I um, become aware? Because we so much goes on unconsciously in our heads. We have this unconscious dialogue and we have this unconscious habits of thinking. And those neural pathways that are those habits of thinking, if we don't challenge them, they're just running our lives for us. You know, they are telling us that we're what we're good at, what we're not good at, who likes us, who doesn't like us, um, how good, how effective we will be at this particular challenge. And if we don't, if we don't actually get in the habit, and I, it does need a habit, that means doing it a lot and doing it often and becoming uh, aware of your thinking as a habit. 
then you can't possibly challenge it. And as I say, I'm a person that's been doing this for years, decades, and I still have unconscious times when I lose it and get upset or get unhappy or get angry or get frustrated or get sad. And I have to, to you know, remind myself to pause and to realise there's always a choice. How you're thinking is always a choice. And that cho- the choices you make are going to determine not just your performance as a learner and as a worker in this world, but your lived experience of this world and your um, happiness and success is no good without happiness. So you can get all the A's you want to get at GCSE or or A-level or IB. You can get all the top grades you like. But if that comes alongside massive imposter syndrome and self-doubt, you're not going to be happy. You're not going to be successful. And sooner or later, it'll come back and hit you on the head. So the magic of metacognition is actually starting with your teachers becoming masters of the magic, if you like. You know, they've got to be masters of the magic of metacognition themselves. And it starts with understanding their own heads. And and, and some people will find this harder than others. Reflection and self-awareness and self-regulation, we know this works, I mean, especially during the pandemic, when children went off and had to work on their own, John Hattie says that the that the children that did best were those who were really good at self-regulation and metacognition, were able to think, oh, I don't want to do this today, or this is too hard, or is anybody listening to me? Or, you know, those were the ones that, that the children that did the best were the ones that actually understood how to self-regulate their emotions and their thinking and their learning so that they could have that resilience to stick at it, to keep coming back to it, to build their, uh, I called it the other day when I was talking, I did a conference on Friday to head teachers. And and I said that every head teacher has to have unwarranted optimism. And I suppose that's what I've always had. And I found that to be such a useful tool. And I think every teacher and every TA has to, has to become, have unwarranted optimism and choose that so that they can be the very best teacher and they can then start implementing it in their classroom. So once you've taught the teachers how to understand their own heads, they can start thinking about how am I going to make this part of my everyday practice? How am I going to bring this into my classroom and my conversations and my questioning every day? And I would start them off with things like, well, there are tools like obviously dedicated improvement and reflection time when children get their feedback. How are you going to help them to understand that feedback that maybe they're going to struggle to put it right, but that's going to grow them and that's okay. And getting feedback, getting critical response to something, getting criticism is absolutely sort of a bit painful at the time for all of us, all of us. It's like putting your hand on a hot stove and feeling that pain, but then taking it off quickly rather than thinking, oh, why did they say that? And that means that fits together and connects with all the other times people have told me I'm rubbish. And taking your hand off the hot stove and absolutely moving forward to, right, what, what is there to learn here? What can I learn and how can I do it differently? How can I think about it differently? Reframe it so that I see it a different way. And the teachers need to voice how they've done that. In their own thinking, they have to voice out loud their thinking processes so that children can then voice out loud their thinking processes. And then you've got that sort of 
window into the brain and how it works and how, oh, if I, if I thought like that, that's how I found the answer. Maybe I can use that process again. Maybe I can use that process to embed that thinking in my head so that I can use it for my exam. So it's really just you know, when it comes to memory, remembering stuff for exams, when it comes to breaking through on learning challenges, metacognition is your magic tool because it makes you take a breath, pause and consider, is there another way? to see this is there another way to think about this and cognitive flexibility is what we all need in this world because you know let's face it change is happening all the time to us all the time um so we need that cognitive flexibility so it's if schools have not even started on that journey get your teachers curious about learning curious about thinking curious about how their brain works Get them to do some experiments. Get them to coach each other and ask questions that hold up a mirror to their thinking. And then you will get teachers to have that breakthrough about their own reflection. And then is the time time to start planning. How can we make this integrated every single moment of every day into our classroom practice? I think it's a, it's a very powerful way in, you know, thinking about, I guess, each of us as individuals ourselves, you know, and reflecting our own experience. And then I like the idea of voicing that and modelling that in some way so that, you know, so often I think when we think about whether it's metacognition or other things, we think, right, well, okay, we need to now apply this in some way to our students. We, we do it to our students in, in some sense. But uh, I think that's a really good reminder that actually we're, we're living that as well ourselves, each of us every day in our lives. And so have a, have a fantastically rich experience, of course, to share with students uh, as part of that journey. Thinking about students themselves for a moment, would you highlight differences in the way that uh, metacognition should be approached, you know, as students move through the age ranges? Or would you say, really, this is the same concepts apply regardless? Well, I don't think there's a time that is ever too early to start thinking about your thinking. <laughs> that That's the thing. Um, it's even when children are very young, and, and we've got to remember that when when babies and toddlers are learning, they're completely fearless, aren't they? They they learn to walk by falling over a hundred times. Um, they don't sort of think, "Oh, I'm feeling really silly. I've just fallen over ten times. I, I'm not going to. I'm going to crawl the rest of my life." They just don't think like that. They they are completely fearless. They, and and why is that? The reason that is is because the little judge that comes in as soon as we sort of start school and compare ourselves with other people isn't there. You know, they're, they're fearless learners when they're toddlers. They're fearless learners when they're just just playing and trying things out and 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 trying again and again and again to learn to go up those steps or to make that thing happen. And then they start school and they start thinking, oh. They look at somebody else and think, are they better than me? Are they, have they got more friends than me? Can I write as well as them? Am I, am I good at maths? They start considering that judge starts appearing in their head. The judge we've all got, the self-judgment. Because although we tend to think of judge, being judgmental as judging others, those people who are judgmental are very often the, 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 the harshest critics of themselves. Um, so children start to judge themselves, you know, and compare themselves. And so the, the time to start thinking about your thinking 
is when they're starting to do that, when they start, because children, as they go through school, if you ever talk to teachers, I mean, I do lots of training and, and teachers will always say that um, when are the children the best perfect learners? It's when they start school. By the time they get to 15, they've got so many barriers up, so many judgmental thoughts about what they're good at and what they're not good at. Um, so we need to start early with just getting them to think about their thinking and, and teaching them little methods, little techniques. I've, I've just been teaching this to my grandson who is six and just saying, you know, where, what, when you get stuck and when you, a, another child does something to annoy you, just put your fingertips together and just close your eyes and just for 10 seconds, just take a breath and just think, OK, I, I don't have to think like that. I can think in a different way. What's the best way for me to move forward and be happy and get this work done? And, and so I think already you can start if the teacher can help with that and coach them, if you like, to, to understand how their thinking can get in the way. Um, and another good example is my particular grandson. You know, all the achievements we give kids, all the certificates and the badges and how brilliant they are. I mean, we're always actually giving kids this sort of almost getting them hooked on success and so for our brightest kids we, we're getting hooked on oh who I am is someone that's really good at stuff and really top of the class so of course as they grow through school and perhaps they find there's some things they're not so good at then they're sort of hooked on that that feeling of oh I'm not as good as that I'm only going to do the things I'm good at that's when I feel at my best. And if you can teach the medical condition, I think, now, hang on a minute. The things I'm not good at, that's when I'm growing my new neural pathways. That's when I'm actually really, really growing, growing my ability to be the brilliant learner by challenging myself, by feeling the struggle and knowing that's when I'm growing my brain. So that's sort of the way I talk to very young children and then right through to older children. Similarly, when children start saying when they're in about year five, oh, this is really boring. It's not what I'm interested in. Well, then you can actually say to them, well, hang on a minute. When you're bored, when you're not engaging, what do you think that's happening in your brain? What do you think is happening in your thinking? You're thinking I'm bored. You're switching off. And guess what? All your neural pathways are shrinking down. Watch out. <laughs> you know, it's just simple ways of making it clear to them that when we're finding it hard, when we're, it doesn't mean we're stupid. It doesn't mean we're thick. It just means we're growing our brains. And even now, and you and I'll know this, Kristen, it's, you know, learning a new language. I'm trying to learn Spanish. It's so hard but we have to just keep telling ourselves, stick with it, keep going, find ways to make your brain work, because actually that's what learning is. And that's what learning should be. It shouldn't be easy. It should be a challenge. It should be exciting. It should be, you should get curious about how your brain can make it work for you. So, um, yeah, I think all ages, we need to get kids thinking about their thinking. And when adolescence hits, I, I coach some teenagers and they're so caught up in, oh, my friends, you know, falling out with my friends and my teacher doesn't think I'm any good anymore and I'm not going to get my GCSEs. They're so caught up in their stories, you know, their, their thinking stories that they're creating about themselves. They need to. And this particular child, I just said to her, do you know what? All that stuff you're thinking about, you've just been telling me about. Is it really even true? Think about it. Is it true? And she said, oh, my God, she said, do you mean I don't have to think like that? And her mum said to me afterwards, she from that day on, 
she was a different child. She wasn't caught up in all these stories she'd been telling herself. Her work improved. She's just done brilliantly, actually, in her GCSEs. She's She was friendly, warm, loving. She was back to the girl she was. So I think it's just got so many things to offer us to get children to become conscious of their thinking and think on purpose instead of letting all that uncon- those unconscious habits that we build up during our, our early life sabotage us sabotage us i've been reading a book um positive intelligence by shazad shamin all about our saboteurs it's brilliant i'm always reading new books about the brain and and that's it stay curious about your thinking stay curious about your brain how it works it's so so powerful and effectively describing having conversations about neuroplasticity with you know three four five year olds right i mean you may not be using that language you're using you know appropriate language and so on but but ultimately that's that's really what's happening there and and what you've just described so fascinating stuff i think thinking about i suppose the role of of perhaps technology in this and obviously you've talked already two or three times about you know different ways of approaching learning design here where you're designing opportunities for for reflection and, and metacognitive experiences into the way students are learning and spending time in schools do you see a role for technology in some way facilitating scaffolding supporting some of that given that those technologies are now available to us well of course one thing to bear in mind about technology is that kids are addicted to social media and and unfortunately you know I was talking about the brain can send us what I call fake news <laughs> so sometimes it's telling us things that aren't even true um, that, that become stories and, and and social media really completely compounds that fake news it, it's sort of that they get they use social media in those sorts of ways and so this is why it's even more important to help kids to understand how um, social media isn't truth, you know, uh, and and that, that we need to be aware of the fake news that our brains create for us, our saboteurs are creating for us, as well as um, the way we use social media. It is it is photo edited. It is it is um, filtered. Um, it is not truth. And I think metacognition can help us with that. But one way we can we can get them to use uh, social media to share that sort of philosophical discussion about thinking, about how it works, about how um, get get these discussions going. Because children are so interested. When I did my learn to learn course with you know eleven year olds. Um, and I started saying, Do you know what, your brain, you know, it's amazing. It's got all these sort of um, neural pathways and, 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 and how do you actually learn? And we don't teach any of that in school. Well, I did at my school and some schools do. But helping kids get fascinated about their brains and share those sorts of thinking on podcasts and, and on, um, on, through social media. Get them to tape as well um, on like even through, through voicemail messages what their thoughts are because you know what it's like as soon as you tape your voice I mean I should listen back to this and probably cringe because as soon as you get those thoughts and voice them there's a sort of critical awareness about that and if we can use technology to 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 get kids to video each other um, when they're doing something and to play it back and say, look, look how well you were learning that. Because they'll, they might say, oh, I did that, that, you know, when I did that talk or when I did that task, I didn't do it very well. Well, if we can get children to, to reflect back 
um, those th through using their phones, through using technology, through recordings, we can actually get them to be able to have more awareness of the truth of a situation and discuss it and debate it. And that way, it means that they're, they're not just replaying the, the, the filtered memories that are filtered through our own limited beliefs and, and um, past experiences, connecting with our self-doubts, because the brain would always rather think the worst. And there's very good reason for that. The brain would always, because, you know, or, or thousands of years ago, you know, it was much more important to see the snake and run away from that than it was to see the sunshine and think, what a lovely day. So our brains are completely tuned into negative news in the media, negative um, things around us, negative comments people say, negative feelings about ourselves as a learner. And so we need to actually become aware that that automatic negative response is we need to challenge it so that most of the thoughts we're having are positive ones. And if they're not, we could quickly pivot to a more positive approach. I mean, at the moment, I've just before I came on here, I've got a little podcast thing that I listen to. And this would be a good thing to do with kids, just suddenly thought of it. Um, just a, a little tiny mantra message to play to yourself on your phone when you find yourself going, having your hand on that hot stove and going down that pathway, just to, just to sort of bring you back to reality. Hang on a minute. I'm okay. I could do this. I've got this, you know, and just, just little things like that, that we can actually help kids to remind themselves that, actually they are absolutely fine who they are they don't even have to get those certificates of achievement to know that they are an absolutely perfect learner they've always been one ever since they were a baby you know and they just need to know wipe away all the barriers and just know that everything and anything is possible when they just relax and and understand that that everything they're creating in their own heads and that their own heads are limitless in their learning potential. It seems that one of the things you've come back to a couple of times is this idea of, I suppose you might say, externalising the, the inner voice, the, the thinking that you have in some way, whether that's vocalising it in conversation, whether it's with you know, technology, kind of capturing it, recording it, and allowing that to then, um, I guess, be, a, be a, a prompt, I suppose, to reflect or think differently about what you were thinking at that time, which I think is a, yeah, it's a really interesting idea. And, and of course, very achievable today, you know, given the technology we have available to us. Yeah, and, and an interesting thing about that is I used to be really phobic about public speaking. That's why I got into all of this. I was so anxious. I was an extrovert person. But when it came to even telling a joke in a pub, I would freeze. I would, you know, get in a panic-stricken state. I left. I had kids because I couldn't face someone coming into my classroom or feeding back to my department about a course. It would just freak me out. And what helped me get over it was I used to go to sort of public speaking classes, try and get over it. And then someone videoed me doing a little talk, a five-minute talk, and I looked at myself on that video talking and all these things had been going through my head at the time that I was saying, talking about skiing or something. And I looked at myself, oh my God, I actually look really confident. I look really okay. I'm, I'm delivering. And it was just a complete game changer because I thought, oh my God, that was all in my head. The reality is I could do this. The chance to get outside yourself. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what sort of coaching does as well. It sort of says, hang on a minute. I want you to understand how you really are you know how you how you absolutely really are in, in reality 
And, and that's what metacognition can do. And as you can see, it's sort of, I've talked a lot about well-being here, I know, but it's almost like that's the core of it. And then the learning stuff, the memory, the bit learning to use your brain effectively is really, truly important as well. But it sort of can't work unless you've understood that how it affects your feelings because your feelings can get in the way of your performance no doubt about that i think that message is a great one for us to to sort of wind wind up on here that that well-being piece is absolutely the core of of the whole thing and, and the foundation i suppose and on, on that of course we can build in many ways but getting that bit right is is crucial and, and frankly you know for, for us as individuals ultimately leads to a happier life doesn't it a happier experience which has got to be a good thing you know in and of itself so Jackie, thank you, first of all, so much for your time. For listeners who uh, who have had their interest piqued by everything that you shared, how can they best follow your work, get in touch? What would you recommend? Well, I'd recommend my uh, my website, Jack, jackiebeer.com. Um, and there's lots of resources on there as well that you can download that are absolutely free. Um, I'd recommend reading my book, Grow, which you can see in the background there. Um, and I would recommend um, you contact me by jackieabeer, B-E-E-R-E, at gmail.com. If you've got any questions, um it's the sort of thing that I think as parents, we haven't talked about parents here, but we actually need to train parents in metacognition as well, because that is so crucial in the conversations they're having with their children, that sort of micro-coaching opportunity there as a, as a parent. So, um, yeah, uh, get in touch. I'm always happy. I'm passionate about this stuff. I know that 20 years ago, I would give myself a piece of advice. Well, actually, even 30 years ago, I would say... This is the magic. Understand your thinking, get conscious of it, get curious about it and give yourself that compassion you need in order to be everything you want to be. Your passion is certainly very clear for it, Jackie. So thank you so much for your time today and and sharing your insights. We really appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to furthering the conversation. Thanks very much. Thank you. So that was Jackie Beer. Thank you, Jackie, for joining us on the podcast and giving us a great insight into the power and magic of metacognition and growth mindset. Don't forget, you can follow up with Jackie via LinkedIn, browse the treasure trove of resources on her website, both linked in the show notes, or of course, dive into any one of her many books and articles. Until our next episode, thank you for listening, and don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. We look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.